You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. And what we were doing there was working with churches and leaders and pastors and introducing this uh, this evangelism um, platform uh, that was uh, started by John Maxwell. And it revolves around leadership training. Pastor Ken Wolf and I were there with uh, a team from one of the leaders was from Monterey, Mexico. One of them was from Peru. Several of them were from Brazil. And uh, this was a beautiful team of people. But what God is doing in Brazil and the church in Brazil is amazing. I want to tell you that the Spirit of God is moving powerfully on this earth. And if anything, it is time for us to get on board, guys. It is time for us to get on board. This program that we introduced has a success rate of 50%, meaning this, that out of one out of every two people that go through this course gets born again. Think about that for a second. We raised up 800 leaders to take this into their churches just in Sao Paulo, just in this city, to see God do an amazing thing. And as I met with the pastors and the leaders there, it didn't matter if they were Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, if they were Assemblies of God churches, the fire of God was in all of their churches. Man, I'm telling you, what a wonderful thing. It was beautiful. It was powerful. Then we turned around and went straight to Honduras. Honduras, uh, where we were, was a city called Marcala. And um, I'm going to invite Buddy to come up. Where's where's Buddy here? Did Buddy run away? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He knew. Buddy knew. Do we have that video? Can I show that video? Oh, is Mindy here? Nobody? All right. All right, guys. Buddy doing a spiritual dance right there unto the Lord. Where we were was we were we were working with the orphanage that we um, have supported. Um, Pastor Solomon, who uh, has a has a, an amazing ministry on the uh, on the mountain, uh, the village mountain up there in Marcala. Uh, it's, it's it's truly amazing. Um, do you guys remember? Bought 
backpacks. You guys bought backpacks for these kids, and we we prayed over them. We filled them with things. We put their names on them. These kids still have these backpacks. So the seed that you planted is 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 continuing to bear fruit. You guys invested and gave so that the pastor could have a home up there so he could minister full time. I saw that home. He's living in that home. It's amazing to see what God is doing, how God is impacting. And, and listen, we are a part of that. It's, it's powerful. It's great. I wish I could take all of you guys to see it, to, to experience it. And there is going to be some opportunity in November. We're, uh, there's going to be another trip going back. And the goal is to build a clinic. When we went this last time, part of what we did was we brought a dental team that went and they pulled 150 teeth. 150 teeth. Just to give you guys a picture of how impactful that is, besides the obvious of pulling rotten teeth out of people's mouths that are, it's painful and it's hurting them and it's, it, it displaces them in some ways. It costs about a week's wages in Honduras for them to get a tooth pulled. Multiply that times 150. We were able to help infuse the economy in, in there. And so you see the, the long-range effect of when we go and do these things. They're not little minor things, but they're, they're powerful, impactful things. And so the next goal is to set up a permanent place where doctors and dentists and, and psychologists even can come up and help the people of this village on this mountain to meet some of their medical needs. And it really is a beautiful picture of what the the wholeness of the gospel looks like. And, and you guys are a part of that in your prayers and your giving and your sowing and letting a team go and letting me go. You're a part of that. We also uh, got to be a part of um, building some foundations and, uh, and, and pouring some foundations. And really what that was is they just let us help. Um, I, I mixed concrete. Oh, that was... So what I'm asking you guys, the next time I go, don't let me mix concrete, all right? That was, that was intense. It was amazing. But we were able to put foundations in two homes and put roofs on two homes of villagers up there. And all that because of your generosity. So thank you very much. And thank you guys for everything Let's get into the word this morning, and um, I'm excited about this because we're turning a page as we go through the Gospel of John, and we've been uh, talking about the Chris and Josh, and in, in the beginning, we, we were talking about who we thought Jesus was, and he's not who we expected him to be last week. I know Josh did a great job talking about how the people uh, needed Jesus to be what was spoken prophetically that the Messiah would be, both a king and a prophet. And he, he looked in the Word and showed how that was something that they should have looked to, but that's not what Jesus came as the first time. But what he came as was so much more if they would only had eyes to see, if, if they would have seen through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And we too must not see Jesus through the lens of our expectation, but fully to fully experience Jesus, we have to allow him to be God because he understands perfectly what we need. He supplies exactly what we need, even when we don't understand. In order to do that, we have to see through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And that means that we have to come humbly, and we have to invite Him in. 
we have to put our other things to the side, some maybe some thinking or some desires that we have. Why? Because he is God. He is God. He is the one who is able to do what we need in our lives to perform what we need. So today we're going to go through parts. There's going to be three different parts in John 7 and 8 I want to talk about because we're going to begin to talk about who he is. And Jesus makes two statements, one in John 7 and one in John 8, that that talk expressly about who he is. And then in the beginning of John 8, he has an encounter that doesn't really fit into a chronological order, but John's gospel is beautiful in this way that the Holy Spirit saw fit to organize John's letter in a way that had this cohesiveness and this context to help us understand who Jesus is. And so as we look at this, we're going to begin to see a thread of, of understanding who Jesus is, and it's going to bring some important things to the forefront. And I want to invite you to, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we begin to look at this and understand as Jesus talks about himself, are these things true to us today? Are they still true? Do we embrace them fully? Are we experiencing them fully? And don't worry if you're not. Because the same thing is true that we must come to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to help us to understand this, to make this alive in our life. So the first thing that we're going to look at is in John 7, verses 37 and 38. Just a little bit of background here is that Jesus is in a bit of dispute as to whether or not He was going to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle, which was a week-long celebration that the, the, the Israelites celebrated. It was one of the big three festivals that they would come annually up into Jerusalem. And what the Feast of Tabernacles was, was a reminder of how God cared for them while they were in the wilderness. And so the things that Jesus said that we're going to read today in John 7 and 8, these statements that Jesus makes, are, are deep, impactful things. There's meaning behind them. I want to show you this and to help you understand that when Jesus made these statements, that he wasn't just rattling off words, but he was inviting us into a deep revelation to begin to experience who he is. Something that could transform us, that could shape us. A revelation, inviting us into a revelation that we need to live in every day. And where Jesus, where we pick up in John 7, verses 37 and 38, what we see here is this. I'm going to read it to you. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This sounds familiar probably to something that Pastor Chris talked about. Because this language, Emeritus, uh, the language that Jesus used with the Samaritan woman, but here it has a deeper significance because what's happening at this point in the festival, what would be done is this, that for this first seven days of the festival, that they would take a golden cistern, a pitcher, and they would take it to the pool of Siloam, and they would dip the cistern into the water, and they would carry it to the temple, the, the, the courts of the temple, and they would pour it out on the laver next to the brazen altar. 
And as they would do this each day, it would remind them of how God brought water in the wilderness. As they wandered around the wilderness, and there's different points in time that God provided fresh water. Different points in time in the, in the wandering that Israel walked through in the wilderness that that, that they complained, that they, grum, they grumbled, they, they, they were frustrated. They didn't have the things that they felt like they needed. And, their, and their, their, their grief would always go back to this statement. They would look at Moses and say, Moses, it would be so much better for us to be back in Egypt. Why did you take us out of that place where there was fresh water and food and we had a shelter? And isn't it amazing because... Jesus understood this, and sometimes we don't understand this. We don't see this. That the contrast in our life is that when we're not living in the abundance and the fulfillment of who Jesus is, that sometimes the past becomes exciting and enticing again. And so to remind them of how God provided for them every day, of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would take this cistern, they would dip it in this pool, they would take it to the temple courts, and they would pour it out by the laver, by the brazen altar, to remind them that God provided them for fresh water. And so the scripture tells us in John 7, 37 and 38, on the last day, and this is probably the eighth day, because on the eighth day, what happened was this, is that they did not go to the Pool of Siloam. They did not go and dip the cistern in the water. There was no water taken to the temple courts. Instead, they would offer up prayers. And the scripture tells us that Jesus stood up and he makes his statement. And this statement is intended to impact us to the deepest place. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus was inviting us into something because he understood that the cry of the heart of the people was this, is that they longed for something that just mere water, physical water, could not satisfy. They were looking for something more. That they longed for something that could satisfy the deepest place of their soul. And Jesus invites them into this. And John's words after this was, they're true for us today. That they didn't fully understand this because the Holy Spirit was not yet given. But this is a purview that we are open to. That something, an invitation that Jesus invites us to, to, to live in every day as seen as received through the Holy Spirit, that we can drink from Jesus, the living water, and the water that we drink from Jesus, it doesn't just quench our thirst, but it meets the deepest needs of our soul. And Jesus, he says this, these words, because he senses the desperation and the dependency upon the heart of the people. But what if I were to tell you that these are the keys that keep us in the place of drinking from the living water. Our desperation and dependency keep us in the place of the revelation of Jesus being the living water. Friends, have you ever fasted water? 
Have you ever let your physical body be deprived of water? You can't sustain it. And Jesus brings us, I believe, into this truth, this impactful truth of saying, this is who I am. But the reality is, is that it's a daily experience that we must hunger and thirst for. Inviting Jesus to be the living water, allowing the Holy Spirit to make this alive inside of us. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we create a dependency and a desperation for Jesus to be the living water inside of us? I want to offer you just a couple of things before we go into the next story in John 8. In order to abide in the living water, you have to double check and see if your world is moving too fast. A lot of times we don't depend upon the living water of Jesus because we become satisfied with other things. Our world starts moving super fast and we get occupied with other things. And before we know it, we find ourselves desperate. We find ourselves bankrupt. We find ourselves empty. And the reality is, in our life, in the day that we live in, in the hour that God has called us to right now, in order to be what God has called you to be, in order to hear His voice, you have to slow down. You have to slow down. You have to detach. You have to stop. You have to disconnect. Psalm 46.10 says this. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the nations. This song was written to a, a David who was weary because of the things that he saw raging around him. But the same principle is true for us today. That if we want to abide in the living water of Jesus Christ, we need to slow down. We need to stop. We need to detach. There are too many things that are vying for your attention. But as as important as it is to disconnect, connecting in to the right things is equally important. And I know this thing, it sounds painfully practical, but I promise you, this is the key. I want to stop and paint a deeper picture for you at the Feast of Tabernacles here. Because this moment was electric. I want you to feel this. When you go back and you read the earlier scriptures in John 7, you see this argument that, that Josh was talking about last week, this idea of what the timing when Jesus was walking in and Jesus was arguing even with his own family members about whether or not he should go down to Jerusalem, that he should go and do this. The timing wasn't right. And when Jesus would have walked into the environment that was Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, it would have been so just raw with emotions. Why? Because they were celebrating something that reminded them of a truth that they had not yet realized. They were looking for the day when God's authority, when the temple would be established and the glory of God would sit in that temple. When they would truly be free of people who are walking in the promise of the promised land. And Jesus saw this and he felt this and he interjects himself right into this moment and he invites them to put their eyes on the right thing. And that invitation is still true for us today. Friends, in order to experience the living water of Jesus Christ, you need to put your eyes on the right thing. 
You need to take your eyes off the wrong things and put your eyes on the right things. You have to connect into the Word. Can I just suffer a small rebuke to the church? it, sometimes we don't even believe it. If you're going to be victorious, you need to stand on the Word. You need to know the Word. You need to be in the Word. You need to hear the Word. Why? Because faith comes when you hear the Word. What are you going to stand on if you don't know the Word? What are you going to anchor your faith to if you don't know the Word? What are you going to stand on for the things that God has called you to if you don't know the word, if you are not anchored to the word, if you do not believe the word, if the word of God is not alive in you, remember the one who sends living water. The word of God is alive. It is powerful. You can stand on it. You can trust it. You can anchor yourself to it. You can place your faith on it. You can grow off of it. It is alive. Connect to the right thing. Put these things together, disconnecting from the wrong things, connecting into the right things, you begin to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to feel like I'm 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 not angry. I'm not, okay. But as your pastor, I want you guys to hear this, please. We're too familiar with the voice of fear. We're too familiar with the voice of the world. We do not know the voice of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you know the voice of the Holy Spirit? Listen to what you say. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. If fear comes out of your mouth, you are having trouble hearing His voice. If fatality comes out of your mouth, fatalistic thinking comes out of your mouth, you are having trouble hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. But what if I were to tell you that in my Disconnecting from the Father, connecting into the right things, and spending the time learning to hear His voice. What if I told you, abiding in Jesus is that simple? Begin to hear His voice. Begin to hear His voice in the Word. Begin to hear His voice as you pray. Begin to hear His voice in the Word. He longs to speak to you. He will speak to you. Planning that trip for me? Great. Thank you.
lesson of the trap. Keeping the law clean and found a woman caught in adultery. The law of Moses said this, if a woman is caught in adultery, she has to be stoned. So they bring her to Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. They need him with something to base, have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to lie to the ground and stone him. When he kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until the only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Again, this doesn't fit the timeline, but John chooses to interject this particular narrative in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a picture of our understanding of grace. It's always been something that we've always speculated as to what Jesus was writing in the ground, but... I want to introduce something to you here because here's what we see is this, that when there is a collision between law and grace, something will always lose and something will always win. I know that sounds like a dust statement, but here's what I want to tell you, that if you have a revelation of grace, whenever condemnation strikes your life, it's always the intent of grace to make condemnation yield to grace. Grace always should win. And if grace is not winning in your life, then you need a fresh revelation of what grace is. There's a couple interesting things about this story that scholars speculate on that I love. Because it's like Sherlock Holmes in this thing, okay? If you would, with me for just a second. Because yes, the law of Moses said that if a woman is caught in the act of adultery, then she would be stoned. That was correct according to the law of Moses. But in order for this woman to be caught, it seems like it would be a wee bit of a setup, doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense for a bunch of guys to be hanging around, waiting for a woman to commit adultery, does it? No, it was a trap. It was a setup. And by the way, where was the guy? interesting command that God gives Moses in Numbers chapter 5. And Moses, God tells Moses, he said, Moses, if there is a woman who is suspected of adultery, but there's no proof, the husband gets a wild goose or whatever, you know about the condemned adultery, get her out. Just rely on us. Here's what you do, Moses take this woman to the priest. And what the priest is going to do is he's going to bring her into the tabernacle. He's going to take her hair down. He's going to take a cup of water. He's going to reach down. He's going to take some some dirt from the tabernacle floor. He's going to mix it in there, this water. And he's going to write down the sin of the woman. And as the ink dries, he's going to scrape that into the water. And it's become bitter water now. And then he, he 
invites this woman to drink the water, and if she is guilty of doing what she has been accused of, then she will be barren. She'll be shut down, and eventually she'll die. But if she's committed no sin, then don't worry about it. Could it be that Jesus understood that? Could it be that Jesus understood? Stay with me. What was going on and what this woman was accused of. But instead of greeting her with the law, could it be, maybe, that Jesus knelt down because the scripture tells us that Jesus was at the temple when this happened? Could it be that he reached down into the dirt and he began to write sins? I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. It doesn't really matter. But could he begin to write this on the ground? But instead of there being an encounter with the law where condemnation was going to come, instead, the one who is grace, who overcame the law, began to write down and said, today, today, you're not encountering the law, but today, you're encountering grace. Yes, I see your sin, but you thought you were going to get the repercussion of the law, but instead, Here's what we know, and this is what I want you to see here. I mean, this is what Jesus is inviting us to. It's a beautiful story, and yes, we can speculate on it, and it's fun to do that sometimes. But this is what we do know, is that after that encounter, Jesus looks up at her and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she's looking around. She said, Yeah, the ones who, who came to bring the law up against my sin, the, one, the ones who came to, to stone me, they're gone. No one, sir, she said, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. What is the fruit of grace? The fruit of grace is freedom. And this is what Jesus came to bring. This is who he is. How do you know if you struggle under a proper understanding of grace? Check your judgment meter. So you need a grace reboot. You need a grace reboot. Maybe that you're still living under the condemnation of words that have been spoken to you a long time ago. Maybe it's not words that have been spoken over you, but words you speak to yourself, and you're still struggling under this condemnation. But this is who Jesus is, that he came and he defeated, he defeated sin. He broke the fact of condemnation so that we could be free. Let me read to you what Romans 5, 15 to 21 says, so that we begin to understand this. This is what Jesus came to do. As Paul writes this, just listen to me. He says, listen, the, the gift is not like the trespass first. If the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more do God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more 
will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. The law was brought so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the grace that Jesus Christ brings. If you missed any of that, let me give it to you just in a quick snapshot. Is that when there is a showdown between sin and condemnation and grace, grace is always intended to win. It is always intended to win. Grace must rule and reign in your life. This is what Jesus Christ came to bring. And if there's any confusion as to as to what grace brings us, it's the freedom. It's freedom. Freedom to live. Freedom to abound. Freedom to do what we've been called to do. Who is He? He's living water. He is also abundant grace. He's abundant grace. What if I were to tell you that no matter what your yesterday was, Jesus is greater. No matter what mistakes you feel like you've made in your life that you feel qualify you as unworthy, unworthy to be loved, unworthy to have a future, unworthy to have a hope, that grace speaks a greater word. The grace that Jesus brought speaks a greater word. And all you have to do is begin to live in it. And listen, I understand that you might say, well, pastor, I did that. I, I put my life under Jesus. But this is what I believe about grace. This is not a one and done thing. I think that we need to have a fresh baptism in grace every day. I think we need to understand that fresh in our life every day, every day, every day. Why? Because we live in a world that is judgmental. We live in a world that is critical. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about a pattern in this world. Think about it for a second. You live in a world where you're judged by your performance. You live in a world that judges you based upon what you have or don't have. But grace says something different. Grace frees us. Grace brings us into life. And when our grace meter gets off, when we begin to be critical, when we begin to be judgmental, we know that we need a fresh revelation of grace in our life. Let me be blunt. When our opinions are critical, we need a fresh revelation of grace. When you're beating yourself up in your head, you need a fresh revelation of grace. In order to see the world like Jesus does, you need a fresh revelation of grace. 
grace to abound us, to be abundant, to flow through us. We need to, to know this every day, fresh every day. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to make this alive inside of us. Jesus, you gave me your grace so that I could begin to walk in your freedom, that I could go and begin to live in victory. You can't live in victory apart from grace. That woman did not get up and go and sin no more because Jesus got her off the hook with the people that were trying to stone her. She had an encounter with what true grace is. Because true grace begins to It causes us to see our life in a different way. Oh, man. Let's wake up to that. Let's wake up to that. I know. Let's go to this final story here from this morning. In John 8, 12, immediately after this, John jumps into the story. It happens probably right at the the very end or shortly after the, the Feast of Tabernacles. It says this in John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, Jesus' words are not just random. He's not just spitting them out because it sounds good. But there was another tradition that was celebrated during the Feast of Tabernacles that every night, It would be what would look kind of like a giant menorah that would be set up in the temple courts. The tradition states that every night they would go and they would light a lamp on this lampstand. And the glow from the the lampstand would begin to light up Jerusalem at night. And there would be singing and dancing, a celebration that would take place on these nights. And what this was to reflect and what the people were longing for and what it symbolized was this, as God led them in the wilderness, that he showed himself in two ways. During the day, there was a cloud that covered them where his glory would rest with them, that they would follow. But at night, there would be a pillar of fire. And in their hearts, they would have heard the story that it would have been something that would have been passed down. That this pillar of fire that, that stayed over the tent of meeting, over the tabernacle at night. That the glory of the Lord would be there. And these people longed for this. And they cried out for this and they would dance and celebrate because they looked for the day that God would set up his glory on the earth in Jerusalem at the temple. They longed for that day. And friends... There is a nation that still longs for that day. And believe me, just let me get a little prophetic for just a second. That day will come. Jesus will return. But understand what Jesus is saying right here. Is he sees the cry of their heart. And this is a cry that we should also join in with the people of Israel to say, God, would you illuminate your glory on the earth again? And what Jesus looks back and says this, I am the light of the world. He invites us into this place, a personal, intimate place, where the glory of God doesn't rest on a building anymore, but it resides in us. 
righteous into that place of the same glory. Oh, that led the people in the wilderness, the same glory that rested in the, in the temple. That same glory, it dwells in us. That same glory dwells in us. not something you beg God for when you're singing worship songs to fill this house. Our worship is upside down. Because it's basically looking at what Jesus said there and saying, that doesn't mean anything to me. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to magically fill up this portion of the church right here. When Jesus gave us an invitation, he said, if you're willing, I am the light of the world, and the light of the world, the glory of God, is going to fill you. It's 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 going to come out of you. It's going to fill you. And close with this passage in 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Paul writes here, and he's comparing the old and the new. He says this, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Listen to this, guys. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face and to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Paul is speaking to those who have only heard the law. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image in ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. God, we need more. We need more. We have to hunger for more. Oh, stop trying to figure it out in your own strength. Stop trying to balance your world and your own wisdom. Lean into the glory of Jesus. Lean into the glory of Jesus. When you encounter him, you begin to radiate him. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound wonderful? This is my dear friend of mine. See, I can't do it. I can't figure my world out. But Jesus invites us into this place. As we invite the Holy Spirit to make these things alive inside of us, Jesus, you're living water. Jesus, you are grace. Jesus, you are the light and the glory of God. And all of this, you've invited into our life. All of these things are to be daily revelation. Holy Spirit, would you make these alive inside of us? Would you help me to drink from the well of the living water, to be full 
to be desperate, to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit every day, to make that alive inside of me? Will you slow my life down? Will you bring it to a stop so that I can connect into the right things again? God, would you remind me of grace so that my life becomes transformed, that I begin to see the world that you, the way you see it, that my life begins to be filled with the revelation of the grace that breaks in and condemnation and calls me into a future and a hope. God, would you let the light of your glory shine through me and in me that I might reflect the living, resurrected Jesus Christ, that my perspective would be guided by that truth and not left up to the wisdom and the strength of my abilities. Dishonor God when you try to figure it out. Don't try to rationalize it. Who are you to rationalize the glory of the Lord? You're wise in your own eyes, but your wisdom has fallen short. Lean into the glory of the Lord. It's the abundance of His grace that gives you permission to do that. Some of the mirrors of that day that you spoke to Jesus that understood in some limit, they couldn't see in full what Jesus was doing. They couldn't. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making us alive inside of us. So the things that we've held on to, the things that we've held on to, our patterns, our, our, our efforts, God, trying to figure out our life and our strength and our own wisdom, we repent. We repent. And if you're in that place, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse my heart. Now, Holy Spirit, bring us to the living water of Jesus Christ. And baptize us fresh in that living water. That we might feel the fullness Spirit, we might feel that fresh in our life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, 
fresh baptism of your spirit pour out in us to overflowing. Let there be rivers of living water flowing through us. Fresh life. Lord, to the areas that have been dead, to the things that we have felt that have been dead in our life, let your living water come and restore. Holy Spirit, we invite your grace. I break in the name of Jesus the lie of condemnation and the voice of sin in the hearts and the minds of your sons and daughters. And let there be a release of grace in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. The old things are gone. The new has come. Let it begin to guide the way we see, the way we treat, the way we respond, what we say and where we go. Holy Spirit, we invite Jesus, the light of the world, to come and to be the glory that resides inside of us. Let your glory come. Come and fill us. Let it come and fill us. Let it come and rest in us. And Father, I pray that the perspective from which we see through, Lord God, that it would be infused with the glory of Jesus. And we would begin to see our tomorrow and our future through the lens of that glory, God. Father, there are people that are praying for people that are sick. Now, God, we put that through the lens of your glory. There are marriages, Lord God, that they're looking desperate, they're looking fragile, they're looking almost broken. But God, we seek them in the place of your glory. Now, Lord God, let the perspective of heaven begin to flood in to those relationships. In the name of Jesus, for reconciliation, Lord God, in relationships. Lord, we seek that in the place of the light of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More. More. Holy Spirit, just a fresh baptism of your presence in our lives. If that's your desire, just raise your hands. Thank you, Lord. Let's just wrestle with this for a moment, please. More, more, Lord. More, more, more. More of your presence. More of your presence. More of your presence. Yep. Thank you, God. More, more, we begin to shake. God, we give you permission to shake anything inside of us that can be shaken. Oh, thank you, Lord. Anything that can be shaken, let it be shaken. So, Lord, that which is set on the foundation of the truth of who you are, Jesus, remains. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the gifts and callings of God being manifest and present in people's lives. I thank you, Lord, for renewed calling and renewed hope. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we break desperation. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More, more of you, God. More, more, more. More, 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 more. Lord, today is the day. Lord God, to 
today is the day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. They begin to cause people to step out, Lord, to believe the things you say. Today is the day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Let's stand on your feet. to this church in Brazil and I spoke at this church on a Sunday night and the Lord gave me a word for this church that was off the hook crazy. They were worshiping the Lord with all their might and the Lord gave me the word of redigging the well of revival. And I said, hey, I said, it sounds crazy, but I feel like I'm at home. They did things differently than we did. It wasn't about that. They were contending for something. They were contending for a well. They were contending for revival. And I said, oh, God, could it, could it be? Just let me get a little bit poetic here for a second because I was in the moment when I was there. And I was excited. And it was funny because the pastor's son knew English. And I was speaking through a translator. He was translating into Portuguese. But the pastor's son, as soon as it came out of my mouth, he was standing up jumping saying, yes, Lord. And it was like a delay effect because the church hadn't gotten it yet because the translation hadn't come. So I was just getting it twice. So I was hardly getting words out. I was messing my translator up. My translator was just preaching a whole nother thing. The fire of God began to fall and I said, listen, could it be God that, that what you're doing here is what you're doing here and that together because you're one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, that, that God, you're digging a well of revival, and, and we want to be a part of that too. As much as you're doing it in Brazil, God, could you, could you do it in Southeast Texas? Could we redig the well of revival? Could we see faith begin to grow? Could we see revival come again? Could we fill stadiums? Could it, could it fill... Glory to God come and just begin to pour out. Oh, because we know our churches are filled, but are they still filled? Oh, hush, man, stop it. No, stop it. Stop it, stop it. Trust me. Oh, my wife's, hey, I've been married to my wife for 22 years, she's dead. <laughs> I still do. 